Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So here at Under the Radar, we have a long and storied history with Swift, going all the way back to November of 2015, when the show was but, but an infant, and our, we, we talked about whether it was time to adopt Swift. And in the, I think it's about 15 months since then, um, much has changed, much has happened, and it is a kind of a strange thing to finally be able to talk about, but I think we are now both in a place that we can actually talk with some experience about Swift, um, rather than before when we were waffling purely speculatively about it. <laughs> if there's anything that like can go on my tombstone, it's like, waffles purely speculative, speculatively. Like That's, that's basically go. all I do. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a professional waffler. Exactly. But yes, we have now both um, used it, and I think it is a, an interesting time in the, the life cycle of Swift, I think, to talk about. Because um, I think it is hitting a point now where if you aren't using Swift on a regular basis, or at least in some capacity, um, you're likely putting yourself behind rather than um, there may have been a period. I mean, this is largely what we were arguing um, you know, back in 2015, that back then, if you were adopting it, you may be you know, setting yourself up for future hurt. Whereas I think now you might be, you know, it's, you've sort of hit, hit the inflection point around you know, if it's something that is now stable enough, is now uh, widely adopted enough, and is just becoming the, the you know the industry standard at this point. And um, I thought it would be interesting for us to unpack it a little bit and just talk about our experiences. Because I mean, I've been doing Objective C for so long that doing anything else is always going to feel weird. And I think it's been interesting. So I wrote um, all of Workouts Plus uh, Plus, the last major app I launched in in Swift. Like the, there is not a line of objective C in it. There were a few areas where I could have sort of cheated a little bit where I had some existing functions or sort of library code that I had could have pulled in from an, you know, another project, but I said, no, I want this all to be in Swift. And so I just sort of translated those over and made them work. So the entire thing is, is done in Swift. And it's been an interesting process because learning in general is interesting. And I think maybe it's just age, but I think the process of learning something feels like more of a, a mountain to climb now that it's like actually has, you know, it was actual genuine hard work um, for me cognitively to, to get over it. But you know, now that I've done it, I think I, I'm glad that I did and I'd have certainly have no regrets, but um, there is, you know, and we'll get into this as, as we go on, but like it, it is definitely not without its trade-offs um, to be getting into now. And you've get into it too, right? Yeah, so I actually started um, in in the last few uh, weeks, I guess, or about a month ago. Uh, I I I had a need um, for a a new extension for Overcast three three point and it was it was going to be a pretty small extension, not a lot of code. So I figured this is a perfect opportunity for me to try out Swift and to make this extension entirely written in Swift, and I did, and I did it in like a day or less than a day actually because it was the same day that uh atp recorded with chris latner which is one of the reasons i did it that day <laughs> to just to just see you 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 wouldn't have to sheepishly look at your feet when he uh started talking about swift exactly just so i could just so i could say i'm a now a swift programmer and and it was totally worth it but yeah i mean so so i, I started with it that day and, and i've since written a little bit more uh, of overcast 3.0 using it not not a ton uh, i'm really very very shallowly dipping my toe in the water so far but I have decided this is a thing that I'm doing uh, now because, and and I have written new code since then that is an Objective C, uh, 
you know, partly because of, you know, just kind of simplicity of I know how to do this really fast and objectively. And this is going to be like a constant battle for me, <laughs> like trying to balance like, you know, do I do I take the extra time and hassle to learn how to do this in Swift or do I just do it the easy way that I already know how to do it in Objective-C? And yeah. that is a constant battle for me. That's that's the whole reason I hadn't learned Swift up until now is because it's like, well, I, I know how to do this really quickly and I don't want to take the time to learn. And that's that is a very pragmatic approach to take most of the time for a lot of things. But there does come a time when when it does start holding you back. And as you mentioned, like, you know, I think that time for Swift has definitely passed uh that now you know we, we can kind of compare i mean things aren't exactly the same obviously the, the where we live in a different world different conditions but we can kind of compare it back to when uh, os 10 launched and they launched the coco apis and mac developers have been writing uh for you know in this other way using c instead of objective c and c plus plus and and uh, and then the Carbon frameworks kind of came around to kind of help bridge that gap. But ultimately, it was very clear that the future was Coco, and that you really should be writing your apps using Coco, you know, from that point forward. And a lot of Mac developers waited for a long time for various good reasons. Uh, some of them weren't so good, but most of them were good reasons. And eventually, Apple started making new capabilities and new frameworks that could only be accessed through Coco. And so it forced people to bring their apps over, you know, begrudgingly at that point. It's only a matter of time before there is something like that for Swift. Uh, and, and it's probably not even that long of a time. It could even be this fall with this fall's OS updates. Uh, it could be basically any time now we could find we could hit a point where Apple launches some new framework or capability uh, or even a, maybe they launch a whole new platform that that only accepts apps written in Swift. Uh, that's, I think, less likely right now, but down the road, maybe, you know? And so there's it's only a, a small matter of time before we are kind of forced or really strongly encouraged with some new capability to use Swift. And it would be best for you as a programmer if you decided the timeline on which you learned a new language because it is a big, you know, productivity hit. So it, it's it's the kind of thing where, like, if you wait for Apple to force you to do it, then Apple is deciding that timeline for you. That, that, that basically means that at some point in the future, Apple is going to cost you, like, you know, three to six months of lower productivity while you figure out this new language because you're forced to adopt some new thing for them for business or market reasons. Whereas if you learn it earlier than that, you can choose when to do that. And you can do it at a more opportune time. You can do it over a more gradual period if you want to. And so you can choose when to take that productivity hit, when to learn this new language, and when to start migrating your code over. So that way, when the inevitable happens, when Apple does something that either forces you or encourages you to use Swift, you're already ready. And you don't have to then take that hit at that point. You already took it at a more opportune time. So I think this is... A wise, you know, if you look at the language, I think it's very clear it's settling down. Uh, a lot of the basics are now pretty firmly established. And while there's still a lot of room to go on the language itself, there's still a lot of like future enhancements and directions that, that it needs and that it will eventually get over the coming years, probably. Uh, I think it's very clear now that it is stable and safe enough to write apps in. And that you probably should be writing most new code in Swift these days, unless you have some really, really compelling reason not to. Yeah, and I think Swift too is. It, it seems like it's hit the point where I think the biggest concern I had in the early days was it isn't so much that the language itself was um, 
like changing out, out from under me, which was certainly something that has happened and, and I guess theoretically could still happen. But the bigger things that I was worried about is that it hadn't gotten to a point that it had worked out what its sort of idiomatic approach approach was going to be like what what good normal swift was going to look like yeah um and i think a lot of swift 3 like the changes they made last summer seemed to be about kind of formalizing a bit around a approach and a naming structure and like the way you should structure your method names and they did a lot of work around you know the way you do that so that you haven't like what a a good swift api should look like seems to be so fairly buttoned down now and i feel like that is when I started to sort of dig into it and see that to those types of changes, it spoke to a certain a level of maturity that isn't just like, does this work? Um, and to the level of like, okay, this is something that is mature enough to a point that I can start using it and not find myself kind of going down these dead ends where it's like, actually, we tried that and that's not really a good way to, to you know, to structure things or to name things. Um, because you know, it's a bit of a joke, but like one of the hardest things in programming is naming. And like, it's an important thing to be able to have a con- have consistency across your code base and understand, you know, when you look at a method to know what it does and, you know, for, for whether you like it or not. Swift has an approach that they've taken now where, you know, the, the named parameters and the way that you have internal names and external names. And like, it's very much something that seems to be settling in. And that kind of style side of it, um, I think is a great indicator that it is settling down. And I think also certainly the style they've chosen is a, it's, it seems reasonable and it seems like it's, it makes more sense to me than I feel like when I was looking at the older, uh, older versions of Swift, like it, it, felt a bit more uh i don't know verbose than it it needed to be sometimes and i I kind of like the way that um you can you know it 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 tightens things up a little bit and it makes it feel a bit more natural for at least coming for me coming from objective c um because i was a bit surprised honestly that um you know, it, it was easier to learn than I thought it would be. Um, and I'm, I'm by no means like an, a Swift expert at this point. You know, I've written an app in it, um, you know, versus I've written dozens of apps in Objective-C. Um, but it is, it, it, going to it, it helps certainly, a, a, the, 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 you know, the APIs that I'm working against, I know inside and out. And so those, that part didn't change. Like I know how UIKit works and I know how all well the frameworks work. And so I'm just using the Swift version for that. Um, but I also like the th- one thing that's kind of nice with Swift that I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure how much this would be, this would be true and maybe nervous was, um, you don't have to go all in on kind of the more, I guess I'd call it esoteric features of Swift. The language nerd features. Yeah, like where you can do these really clever, complicated, like things with closures and generics and types and you, like are doing these, you know, these very clever things. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically anything that a Ruby or C plus plus programmer would think is really cool. Yeah, like that's cool, and I'm glad that you can do it. And I subscribe to several RSS feeds of like people who do that, and I try and read them, and I usually get like two paragraphs in and then bail. Um, but I was worried initially that that was what I was going to have to do, that my code was going to, in order to like write good Swift, it was going to have to be this kind of very esoteric, this kind of very crazy 
version you know version of code that just isn't the way that I tend to think about problems. I tend to think very straightforwardly and pragmatically. And, you know, that works well in Objective-C. And I was glad that I could just kind of do that in Swift. Like, And maybe my Swift isn't taking advantage of some of these cool features that um, I could be taking advantage of, but it still works well. It still, you know, flows nicely and isn't like I'm kind of fighting against the grain on that. And there are a few times that I've done things that are a bit, you know, a bit cleverer when you start to do things where, you know, you have a function that takes a closure that you can use to process data. And so you can, you know, you can ask for, like I use this in a bunch of my, like in WordPress plus plus there's a bunch of graphs, uh, for example. And the way in which I structure that, you know, the, depending on what data you're passing to it, it'll need, you know, it need, need, it needs it in a different, uh, you know, I, I, like the end result is just going to be numbers on a XY plot, but the input can be different. And so like, I have a nice little like Swifty thing where you can, the, when you're setting up the graph, you also give it a little transform to take it, f- the data from whatever form you have it on the, in- on the input side into the expected output side. And like, that makes that graph code look really cool and clever. And like, that's, a, you know, I feel kind of cool about myself that, Hey, I wrote this very Swifty thing, but if I didn't do that, if I didn't do it that way, and I just did it in kind of the more, you know, procedural direct way like that would have been fine too and i like having that flexibility and not feeling like i'm totally having to buy into this just super esoteric um version of things that is possible in swift yeah exactly i mean i think one of the advantages that we get as indies and especially as like literally one person shops is that we only write this code for ourselves. We are probably the only people who will ever even see this code. Like yeah. it, there, There's the slight chance that you might down the road sell the app or hire somebody, but for most of the apps that you and I, and I think most people like us write, that's usually not the outcome. So you, you can basically write your code in whatever style you want, in whatever language you want that, that works on the platform, and using any degree of of the languages available cleverness that you want. And so if you are the kind of person, you know, like you're a real language nerd who really likes all those really clever things that languages can do with some of these kind of, you know, esoteric constructs and, and, and uh, little complexities throughout, then you can do that. And you can be incredibly personally satisfied that you can do that because there's no style manager at your company telling you that you aren't allowed to use that. You can use the latest versions of all the languages and all the coolest things that come with the latest versions of all the languages. Like You can make those decisions yourself. And if you want to be clever, you can be clever. If you want to be straightforward, you can be straightforward. And you can alternate whatever you want depending on how you feel that day and whatever the code is that you're writing. And it's, it's a wonderful luxury. Uh, that we have in the positions that we're in. And and it's something that, like, you know, if you're working with a lot of other people, if you're working at a company or um, possibly even doing consulting, I, I, you know, you know better than I would, like, how often this actually comes up in consulting where you have a lot of other programmers looking at your code. But uh, if you're working with other people, then you have to deal with everyone having to either not follow the same complexity level and have code that varies wildly in in cleverness and complexity being merged into the same app and and worked on by a team of people or you have to like enforce some kind of style guide which is never easy uh but to enforce some kind of style guide on people which makes them miserable that says like all right well this is the way we do this this is too clever this is you know this is this hurts readability or whatever else and and so it is kind of nice to be in our position where we can pretty much write code however we want and the only people that will ever see it are us so we're just writing to make ourselves happy with it and we can do it you know to any any degree of cleverness that we wish yeah and i think that speaks to also like the sense that i see in swift too something that i can see how many of the choices that it has made 
are about addressing problems that I think would come up in a, in a situation that doesn't really directly apply to us, that does speak to the situation, like the large code base with lots and lots of people um, potentially coming in and out of a project, or, you know, it's like this was built by these consultants, and then it was passed over to these consultants, mm-hmm. and now we've taken it internally, and like, because what it, and this is something that I struggle with still, is like, is Swift encourages very strongly a certain level of formalism in what you're doing about being very declarative about what your intentions are for something. Um, you know, perhaps the most straightforward example of this is uh, optionals, where you have to be very clear about should this value have a value or sh- or does it not? And like you have to be very upfront and clear about that. And there's no way, you know, if you have something that isn't an optional, like it, it'll always have a value and you can trust on that you know, trust that to be there. Absolutely. And I can see that those types of features um, are incredibly, would be incredibly useful in that kind of varied um, mismatched code base where you're just removing ambiguities um, from the code. Everything has to be very upfront. Everything has to be very explicit. I mean, this is the other thing that drives me, it still drives me crazy is the number of times I have to cast ints to doubles and doubles to CG floats and mm-hmm. like doing all this kind of work to move around, which being all being very precise and very formalized, which is not a, a bad thing. Like the code is still definitely better as a result of it in the sense of it is clearer. Um, but it takes more work to do in a way that, you know, in Objective-C, I haven't been doing that and things have been fine. And that's easy for me to say because I'm a one-man team. And so I just kind of know if a value, when, like when it's appropriate to use a value and when it's not. And every now and then I'll probably run into a problem um, with that. But in general, it's, it works out okay. Whereas Swift has these things in it that I think you know, are certainly benefits to me. And I'm not cert- I wouldn't want to say that like, I don't like that they're there. Um, but I find them inconvenient sometimes. And I think it's probably getting better now that I've done more of it, that you just kind of things become a bit more automatic. But there's a lot of features in it that I think work well, you know, for these kind of structural big, 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 big picture issues that you might encounter in a complex code base um, that don't directly apply to me, but are definitely something that like I just have to kind of wade through as, you know, anyway. We are sponsored this week by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash radar. You get a 14-day free trial, and when you enter offer code radar at checkout, you get 20% off your first invoice. Pingdom is an awesome monitoring service. I use it. Dave uses it. I've used it for a very, very long time. I think something like eight or nine years now. It is ridiculous how long I've used Pingdom because they're just good. We used them all, all the way back at Tumblr, the whole lifetime of Tumblr, all the way up through all of Instapaper. I've used it since all of Overcast, most of Marker.org. It, 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 I've used it for everything. Dave even uses it to monitor sites that aren't even his, like when yeah. like when the uh, WWC was announced and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so with Pingdom, they offer easy-to-use, powerful, and incredibly effective monitoring monitoring tools and services. So you can monitor the availability of your site, your database, uh, your server, any kind of like key interactions like a login or a search or anything like that. You can monitor all of these things, whether it's like the front-end or a back-end service, all of these things, you can have them checked as, as often as once every minute if you want to. Uh, all the way, and of course, everything's customizable. You can have it checked for like uh, a string on the page to make sure it's okay. Uh, one of the tricks I do with Pingdom is I have two checks. I have two levels of failure. 
one of which is uh, is called the vitals check and that checks a special page on my site that runs a whole bunch of tests and tests things like low memory very high cpu usage on any of the servers low disk space stuff like that uh conditions you know long replication lag on a mysql slave for instance there's so many possible conditions that you're like you know i want to be notified when that is in this warning zone however i don't need to be like high alert like text messaged phone called faxed woofed like i don't need all of those things to all happen at once for that kind of condition so you make two tests one of them you have that kind of low low error condition and you can set entirely different alert parameters for that one and then you can have like a high alert situation of like it is down the site is down something critical is not working it is down that's the one that you that you set to all the high alerts it's because you have all these independent options you can set for different alerts you can be alerted all different kinds of ways text message app push notifications there's so much emails you know so much you can do there been using pingdom for a very long time i highly recommend pingdom all you need to do is give them a url to monitor whether it's yours or somebody else's and you you can search for changes downtime conditions whatever you want and they take care of the rest You'll be immediately immediately alerted to any failures that happen, so that way you can go fix them before like the entire internet sees it and tweets you that hey your site's down. Like you should know before Twitter knows, and then you should be the one that can go then start fixing it before too many people see it. So check it out today at pingdom.com/radar. You get a 14 day free trial and use code radar at checkout to get 20 percent off your first invoice. Use Pingdom so you can be the first to know when your site is down. Our thanks to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. Some of the last few things that I think it seemed like it might be worth talking into were some of the, I guess, some some of the things that we wish were slightly different in Swift or problems we ran into it. Uh, just to kind of wrap this out, because I think overall I have a fairly positive view on it, but I think there are still some issues that um, I ran into that are make it a bit more sort of sort of awkward and like the ones i was just touching on i think is like the easy examples like the things that won't change going forward probably like some of the structural approaches and the formalism that the app has like isn't my favorite but that's a more of a personality issue um but i did one thing that i did run into many times that was definitely probably in some ways was the biggest change for me coming from objective c was that it felt like the tooling for swift still hasn't quite caught up to the level that I'm used to when I'm working with Objective-C. Like things like the documentation viewer being appropriate, you know, coming up as you would expect it to and knowing what I mean when I'm, you know, option clicking on a method name um, or how long it takes for things to compile or probably even moreover, it's the time it takes for the compiler to adapt to a change I make where it reports, a, reports an error I fix the error and then I recompile and it's like sometimes it picks it up right away. Sometimes it doesn't quite like there's a lot of these little issues that I'm sure will get better. And I'm sure that whatever it is, when we get uh, the next version of Xcode um, this summer, they'll continue to get better. But that was one area that I was you know, coming coming to Swift was like, hmm. Like the language issues aside, that is an area that I'm very hopeful that Apple is putting a lot of effort into to making sure that that catches up because uh, it definitely makes me realize how spoiled we are in Objective-C land. Um, Like Xcode for Objective-C is just like perfect. It does such a good job and is so responsive and performant. I mean, obviously Objective-C, Xcode has its issues and, you know, it's like... I talked to, you know, talked to me of three or four years ago, and I'm sure I was complaining about Xcode crashing and, you know, things happening. But by and large, the actual day-to-day editing of code and things in Objective-C uh, was something, was one of the areas where I felt like, you know, I, I wish Swift could catch up to this uh, and just be a little bit better and a bit more reliable. 
Yeah, and I think the good thing is that every time there's a new you know Xcode beta or a new major release in the summertime, they actually do make major progress in that area. Um, so it, it's not like they're standing still on that. Like they they had a lot of progress to make. Uh, however, they do seem to be making it on a regular basis, and it's it's to a point now where like in my admittedly still very early and and light usage of Swift. I didn't really run into a lot of problems. Uh, it, so there are certain, you know, little annoyances of things like figuring out the bridging and everything because none of the automatic stuff did it for me. But for the most part, it was pretty good. And I've actually found it very useful. Like, like one of the things that I commended the Microsoft development stack for a long time ago is that you can basically start coding in C Sharp as long as you know that it looks kind of like Java. And so all you need to do is like type a method name and a dot, or it's a, you know type like an object dot, and then it will autocomplete and offer you every possible method that that option can do, and yeah. and all like and it's it makes it so easy uh, that you can you can kind of fumble through while barely knowing the language at all, and that that is kind of how I've been using Swift so far. I still haven't read the Swift book, like I still <laughs> don't act. I I haven't actually learned Swift. I just started using it. Sure. <laughs> and I just kind of stumble through because, as you mentioned earlier, like I know the frameworks really well, and I and I, I I know some general ideas of what Swift is. There were a few times where I had to look up syntax for things like like the guardlet uh, block and everything else, but but for the most part, I just kind of figured it out and stumbled through. And I a lot of times I will I will do something wrong, but then the the um, kind of autocorrect suggestion warning that comes up is almost always what I wanted. And so I just let that do what it, what it thinks it needs to do. And it works. And at some point I'm going to have to read that Swift book. and I just keep putting it off. But, uh, but it, it, the tools are so good now that you can stumble through the way I do now. You, you can like, if you are a reasonably experienced programmer and you know, and you know, the frameworks, uh, like most people listening to the show in all likelihood, if you haven't used Swift yet, it is surprisingly easy to just start using it without doing a whole bunch of research and learning up front. You just start plowing through and the tools help you along the way. And that's great for, I mean, it's probably great for novices also, but uh, but certainly from our, from our point of view and from my point of view, uh, that's been invaluable. And, and the tools, they there is still a lot of room for improvement, but they are, after hearing all the horror stories from people about like source kit crashes in the early days and bad compile times and everything, I'm actually quite happy with the state of the tools right now. Obviously, yes, it can be improved, but they were better than I expected them to be, given what I've heard. And the only thing that really bugs me about using Swift is that now my binary is going to be more than seven megs. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the one thing that like I know nobody cares. I know that you're using Overcast to download podcasts that are like 50 or 100 megs per episode. I'm very aware of this fact. And so the fact that my app is like 7 megs and that now that I'm shipping Swift code, it's going to go up to like 25 megs. I shouldn't care about that, but I do. And I wish that wasn't the case for a long time. That's why I didn't use Swift was that I didn't want to bloat the size of my app. Um, uh, hopefully down the road they can you know build in the frameworks in the OS level when things stabilize so that that's less of a problem. Or I'll just have to accept a 25 meg app for the rest of time and I'll just deal with it. Yeah, and I will say like, yeah, I mean, there, there's all those little things like that. And I mean, app size is, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a minor point. But I think the reality is like it, it's... It's it's quite an impressive trick that Apple has pulled here. Of like, it, it's only taken three years to turn um, 
to turn, you know, their development community entirely around, you know, so it's not quite like they've gone 180 degrees, but like they've, they've made a fairly, a very substantial course correction and done it in a way that, you know, makes sense. Cause I think I had a similar experience to you of learning where, I mean, I read the first, I think it's the first section or the first chapter of the Swift book. I didn't read the whole thing. I just read the like basic syntax part, which I think is probably all uh, most objective C developers would need to do to get started. Um, so don't, you know, don't, don't, don't be too scared of the whole book. Like just, you can just do a little bit to get started. And then like, it's familiar, but different in a way, in a way that, you know, makes it very, very, you know, approachable and reasonable. And um, like, it's a great little trick they pulled to get everybody off something that they wanted everyone to get off, but did it in a way that um, hasn't been quite so painful. And I think, you know, certainly some of that is because we waited until Swift 3 to get in, to get onto it. And so a lot of the teething issues are, are done and a lot of the early stability or just kind of like those, like the uncertainty and maybe some, I mean, I, I definitely appreciate it. And, and you know, I, I admire the people who were really excited about being part of Swift's creation and a part of its evolution. And, you know, we're really excited about that process. Whereas like, I had no interest in that. Like that just sounds just like something I would not enjoy. Um, I love being able to just arrive now benefit from their, um, all, all that work and thought, the thought, the thoughtfulness that went into it. And yeah, and like pick it up pretty quickly. I mean, it's kind of remarkable in some ways that say that you could, you know, you wrote an extension in Swift without ever knowing really like more, more, more about Swift than just probably seeing, you know, the example code on slides at WWDC um, and a few little bits and pieces there. And you just kind of can like work it out and make it, make it happen. Like I think that says a lot to the language design um, and, you know, kind of how far things have come. And the tools. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. We're out of time this week, uh, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.